don't see we don't see what we do on Sundays as preaching as such. <coughs> but there's, there's special days, special days like today where um doesn't feel like we're about to teach or or even deliver teaching. The word of God. It's just today I feel like just chatting about the word of God, just having a nice fellowship chat. And yet we have put quite a bit of effort into it, but we looked at we looked at so many facets of the scripture in Second Peter that um, yeah, it feels like more like we're going to have an, a celebration of the word than anything else. So um, I'm going to change. I'm going to change our structure slightly. <laughs> just just a little bit, not oh, too much. Why not? Okay. Can you read for us um, out of the Sermon on the Mount? First. Seek thee first the kingdom. It's Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> just okay verse 32 and 33 for after all these things the Gentiles seek he's talking about all the things of life all the things like belongings, meaning of life, um, self-promotion and so forth. Just And it's the passage where it says, do not worry about the things of tomorrow. Yeah. For your Father knows that you have need of these things. So everybody knows that piece of scripture. And we pick up there. It says, because the nations are seeking after something. And just after he said, he commanded his disciples not to worry about these things. Continue. Okay, I'll, I'm, I'm going to read verse 25 and then that. You can do whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Read the last bit again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's such a... It takes such wisdom to developing us through interaction with God Himself to find the right balance to all these things. We are currently doing, we, we, we're anchoring our study of the Bible in the 2 Peter scripture where we call that the Peter equation and it is literally the key steps to discipling faith Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue, to virtue knowledge, to virtue, uh, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, um, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. 
And um, we, 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 we are realizing that the more we're looking at this scripture in preparation, the more it opens up to all the facets of the Bible. But this takes such wisdom to find the balance in seeking the kingdom of God first. Just after he said, do not worry about the things of life. And I don't know why the Holy Spirit is specifically changing some of the nuances. He's speaking to me right now in line with everything that we've heard through the week. But he wants to place an emphasis on that balance. And, and you'll see later on that what we've prepared uh, isn't completely in line with the little change I'm bringing to the teaching right now. See, historically, Christians, in reading these kind of scriptures, they wanted to um, reject the things of the world. They thought that the Lord was saying we then should not um, be diligent in uh, business or should not be uh, building lives that are healthy and prosperous. But we know that does not line up with biblical um, prophetic unfolding. Prophetic unfolding, we, to understand the Bible, we look at the Bible story and all the details from the beginning and how God repeatedly acts in the same way towards man. And man, when they are considered to be faithful men, they respond to God in a certain way. And we can only find the balance when we teach ourselves to, uh, to allow the Bible to be our only example. And what do we see? If we go into, it starts with faith, and we know that Abraham is the father of faith. To understand faith, we have to understand what the faith, faith of Abraham was, but also how did he walk out faith. And so, yes, God calls him out of his world, out of his family, out of the city he's living in. He's, he's, his father, he himself, was living in a prosperous city. It was on the trade route uh, at that time. They were prosperous. They were rich. His father was an idol maker, and that city was the center of idol worship uh, at that time. And yes, God calls him out of that. God says, leave your family, leave what you are used to, and come with me. But he calls him out according to promises. And if we see, if we look at Abraham's life, God prospers him. God prospers him. But God still asks this specific thing of, of Abraham. He says, seek thee first the kingdom. And we're going to look at that call. We're going to look at that call in context to covenant. So, we call this teaching covenantal living. Covenantal living. A covenantal thinking, covenantal action, covenantal living. It sounds very complicated. It's actually pretty simple. It's so simple that um, it's almost difficult to prepare the teaching because it's simple. Yet you have to consider so many scriptures just to begin to understand it. So what are we, what are we looking at right now? So Abraham is called away from his substance, all the anchors in his life. His family, he's got to leave his father and his family roots. He is called to leave behind his friends and his social structure. 
he has to leave the family business. The two, serving God and seeking the kingdom and idol worship just doesn't go together. Strange thought. If the Lord hadn't called him, he would have also been an idol maker. He would have probably been a very good, successful <laughs> idol maker, being Abraham. So, the two things, so, so God calls him and first thing he has to do is leave his anchors, physical anchors, but also mental and emotional anchors. He has to leave his way of thinking. He has to leave his way of believing. He has to leave whatever he considered to be knowledge and wisdom and even virtue. He has to leave that behind. God is going to re-educate him regarding what virtue is. For him, virtue would have been to be faithful to the idol worship at the temple in his city and live according to the moral standards and values of his society. That would have been virtue. Because that's the Greek definition of virtue. He would have had to conform, subscribe to, and uh, live according to a moral structure, a cultural structure. So God asks him to uproot and leave all these anchors behind. Now we have those anchors. Mm. And a, a, a big part of the discipling that we've been through have been to let go of those anchors. And what did we realize after this process? That many of those anchors were not very stable anchors anyways. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> we were holding on to those little ropes attached to these anchors for dear life. It's all we had. And then God says, let go. And how difficult was it to let go? So far, we've felt the pain and the strain of letting go of our anchors. It's true. It's just real. And then we realize that we do better without those anchors, don't we? So he said he came for the liberty, for our liberty, for our freedom. And uh, it was scary. It has been a scary process for years now. As far as my walk goes, I'm, I'm not going to even pretend that I was just courageously marching on. It, it, at times it was really scary. Scary to let go of what I thought was right, what I thought was wrong, what I thought was true. And you know what was easy in the beginning? When I started walking the road with God, it was easy just to reject all the things of the world and go like, I don't need this, I don't love this, I don't like this, I am just loving God. And then, uh, you know what was a more scary process? Was God bringing me back to balance. Mm. And going like, okay, you cannot sustain this. It's not sustainable. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Canal Walk. <laughs> we were driving up to Canal Walk. First time I saw it, a friend took me and said, you must see this place, it's amazing. <laughs> My throat started closing up, I was so religious, I was going like, this is demonic, I cannot go near this, okay, all the, the, all the religious spirit in me didn't want to, didn't want to let go, I still don't like an hour walk, but I mean, the reality is, 
I wanted to take a vow never to go there again. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Okay. There's a balance. But it does. It does feel like when the Lord brings you back, is I mean, it is. We are in the world, but not of the world. And there is a time when He kind of ushers you back into. Okay, now you have to go back, go spread the good news, and it feels like He forces you into something horrible. And I mean, in the beginning, you think, Oh no, this is the flesh. Or the enemy is coming to tempt me and draw me back into the world. And you kind of, know, resist, resist. And after a while, you figure out, no, it's, it's God. <laughs> We've seen what happens to uh, people with good intentions that, that want to overbalance. Mm. Never sending my kids anywhere near school. Mm. Now, homeschooling can be good. But again, you know, when, when religious folks go all the way the one side, they don't prosper. Usually they don't prosper. And then you see they have to give up on those high moral values and standards, the high horse they've got to get down and just find a, a midway. Now, I, we don't agree with compromise when it comes to worldly things. But I think today we, we're going to relook at the Peter equation and we're going to look at covenant and the calling. Um, it's important to talk about these things and just bring some some balance to it because perspective is needed when we look at virtue because when it comes to the subject of virtue this is supposed to be have the the Greek way of thinking just to update everybody the Greek way of thinking about virtue is um, moral excellency now, we said it, it makes no sense for God to say, add moral, moral excellency to your faith. It's the second step. So, two steps on, He's not going to ask us to be perfect in moral standards. Especially if we consider that what is good, perfect moral standards in the Greek, Roman Greek world, and what is good truth standards... In the kingdom, those two things are not the same. Mm -hmm. So, just after faith, how would he possibly ask us, if he says, add to your faith virtue, how would he ask us to add perfect moral living mm -hmm. to faith, if we don't even yet know what it is? Because only after this is going to come knowledge. And we have defined this as the knowledge of God. Okay. So, when it comes to this, virtue... That's the danger of it. That happens to us. That's when we find that high horse to get onto. It happens to most believers. It's just, it seems like it's part of the normal process. Yeah? I think there's also, um, and I'm not going to go into this now, because I know we're going to do a teaching on it still, but we have taught on the, the separation. So coming to God and calling you to Him, there's a separation, we understand, that happens from the things of the world. But it's not the same as isolation mm. from the world. Mm -hmm. And I think because we haven't, because this is so early in the process, our, init our initial response to virtue, because we don't know anything yet, this is the first response. There can be an over-response in interpreting that unctioning to separate from the world as isolating ourselves from the world. And then that, that would be the, the overbalance. And then what God does is just bring us back in the balance that we are in the world, but not of the world. So we are separated from the things of the world, but we cannot 
leave the world because then what's the point? If we are secure in the ways of God, we have allowed the Holy Spirit to teach us, we have uh, patiently continued in uh, discovering the depth of the Word of God and we are full of the Word of God, but more importantly we are full of the Spirit of God and free from the religious spirit, then I tell you what, we love going out into the world. We, I enjoy every moment being out there um, because we're not scared of the world anymore. We're not scared that it's going to defile us or touch us in any way. Um, there's a freedom that eventually comes. But now we all know that in the beginning uh, phases of our faith, we're scared because we don't know how to negotiate the straight road of, of righteousness. And so we're overly cautious, and then we can become a little bit prideful. And virtue is innocence, in essence. Innocent thinking, innocent action. And um, if God had to respond to us in relation to how perfectly we're thinking and acting all the time, then none of us would have relationship with Him. So the first steps, let's just put this in perspective. We're going to look at what faith is again, just quickly. But the first step is, He gives us, imputes to us together with righteousness, and as righteousness, He gives us His substance of innocence. But it comes from his courageous obedience. That's where the innocence comes from. Courageous obedience. That is a courage that goes with it. A fortitude. If you look at the virtues that have been formulated by the saints over the years, fortitude is one of the most beautiful of virtues. I love fortitude. Fortitude is like steadfastness. Fortitude is when you know that you are secure on the inside and in Messiah, when you know that you're no longer struggling with double-mindedness because the Word is in you and you've come to understand at least some of it. Mm. But more than that, fortitude comes from when you know the Word of the Lord, you know the move of God in you, in your life. So there's a security. And now, you can be, we're going to look at the picture of fortitude just now. So that was just context of the heart of what we want to look at today. So that's why we don't want to preach a, a, a sermon or a teaching today. We want to talk about the reality of the scripture and our lives. Because something happened in all of us. There was a call. It took, after I received the call and started walking out the call, it took years for me to understand what that call is. What is it? What happened to me? It literally took years. I don't know about you guys. To understand exactly what happened. So, we're going to read through 2 Peter. We're going to again just familiarize ourselves with all the important bits of the scripture. Can you take us there, please? So give us the scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. <laughs> Some verse. Verse 1 to verse 11.
That's a good point. Let's quickly look at verse 12 before we read that. Well done. So before we do that, look at what Paul, uh, Peter says. Peter, a lot of people and a lot of scholars has, has looked at the first little bit of chapter 1 as an introduction. It's not an introduction. It's not even a greeting. It's not a greeting. Peter is coming in his letter and he is putting all the most important aspects of covenant in place. So he's establishing agreement and relationship with people that he knows well. That's his greeting. But then in verse 12 he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So everything that he's saying in his greeting, he's saying, I will keep reminding you. I know that you are established in this truth. I know you know these things, but I'm going to keep reminding you. Now, we're talking about older Peter here, probably about 80 years old. Okay, now when 80-year-old Peter tells you, I'm going to keep reminding you, you go like, please remind me, Peter. You can, you can tell me these things every day. Okay? And we should have that attitude. And he actually says that even, oh, he says, the Lord has shown me that very soon I will put, put down this tent. He's saying, I know that my, my death is near. Because the Lord told them these things. And he says, um, but even after I go, even after I die, I will make sure that you have a record and that you will be reminded long after my death. This is how important these things are to him. Okay, so that's why we are willing to relook at this over and over. What are we in week number four on this piece of scripture? And we're not done because it's so important. So read it for us, please. Okay. Um, read it like Peter would have said it. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> do that. Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> I'm just going to read it in the nicest way that I possibly can. Okay. Simon Peter a bond servant and apostle of Yahushua HaMashiach. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Yahushua our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Yahushua HaMashiach. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom 
of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Okay, very important. Why are we so highly motivated to understand what he's saying in this piece of scripture? Why didn't we just do one study and move on? Because he's saying you will never stumble. Is there a believer here that doesn't desire that one thing? How do we desire to walk in faithfulness and never stumble? You know, when I was a young believer and I was being, firstly, started being trained as a pastor and also just discipled, they kept telling me, look, it's an up and down kind of walk, this. That's what all the old believers told me. said, look, it's just, you do, you do your best, but yeah, sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down, and then there's wilderness seasons, and then there's, all of that was non-biblical talk. Because over and over we see in the Word that they are encouraging us to learn how not to stumble. So we want to put a, a standard in place for ourselves, a, a, something that we can believe for. Yes, Lord, maybe I'm still stumbling now and then. Maybe I become double-minded. Maybe there's times that I still worry or the stresses of life still gets to me. But there's going to be a definite time in the future because I'm diligent in the Word where I'm no longer going to stumble in these things. I'm no longer going to stumble when it comes to judging others. Or judging myself. I'm no longer going to be vulnerable to condemnation or doubt or double-mindedness. Can we put that in place for ourselves? Going like, there's so many scriptures that keep saying so that you don't stumble. Then it also says that an entrance will be supplied to us into the kingdom. It means in this life, while we are still in this world, we can enter into the things of the kingdoms, kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at the kingdom today as well again. Okay, so how, how wonderful are these promises? But there's a focal point that we want to look at today. Read the call and election again, that verse. Okay, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Be more diligent to make your call and election sure. Now, isn't salvation a free gift? It's a free gift. He saves us. We have to put up our hand. Then they'll do a prayer. We have to invite Him into our hearts. And then we're saved. Only believe in you believe in God with your heart, confess it with your mouth, and it's done and dusted. What's the problem? Yes. Now he says, be, even be more diligent to make your call and the election sure. For the first ten years of my own discipling, never, no one ever mentioned this. No one taught me on it. Because remember, salvation is, is a free gift. Be more diligent. What does it mean? Like once a week on a Sunday, I must remind myself, is that diligence? What, what does it mean to be diligent? Does anybody here have a degree, a university degree? Not you? You don't have it yet? Okay. 
Okay. Okay, so you had to kind of pay attention to your books every, once a week, right? Is that how it worked? Do you want the what, truth, what no, I did not, or not what I should truth. have done? <laughs> <laughs> okay, anybody older than 40, uh, how much diligence has it uh, taken from you in life to have some sort of success? What is diligence? Do you have to go to work every day? Except Sundays. Maybe Saturdays. Did any of you have a time in the middle of your life where you had to just work all the time? Did, did you have a time like that where it felt like you were just working? Mm. Not really. <laughs> so, so you were doing all the working. Llewellyn, did you do all the working? <laughs> <laughs> Diligence. Some of us have a good idea what diligence means. Okay. You apply yourself. Now, when he says diligence in context to these things that will would cause you not to stumble and will give you an entrance into the kingdom of God here, okay, it means that we should try and be diligent every day. That would be logical. Okay. But in what? If we don't know what to focus on, if we don't know what to do, then our intention is to do it. And what will we end up doing? Nothing. Okay, so let's sort out what the call and election is that we have to make sure. Can you take it from here? Mm. Explain to us what that call is, please. Okay, just maybe to just shine a light. Obviously, if this was just for referring to salvation, it would be pretty worrying for me if an apostle of the Lord then goes, okay, just every day be diligent to make sure that you are actually saved. <laughs> so obviously that's not what he's meaning because that would be worrisome. So obviously he's referring to someone else. Oh, something else. Which is both, both is true. <laughs> someone else. Can I just quickly, okay. sometimes it helps to, we can connect with a reality when we talk about our experience in the Lord. You know, if someone had somewhere through Sunday school or going, what they call it when you have to be released in the Dutch Reformed Church, you have to go. And then when you're in matric, um, they'll allow you to be. I don't think there's an English term for it, is it? Okay, so every Sunday afternoon you go for special classes at church. Now, if somebody only explained to me what the call was, see then, when the call were coming through, I could respond. But you know the confusion I went through for years? Whenever God reached out to me, my response was, I'm scared of you. I want to believe in you. My problem was, I was aware of all my sin. Okay, I wasn't a good boy. I wasn't one of those good boys. Especially then, because then they teach you stuff like Noah and the ark, and you go like, well, see, if I'm disobedient, he's just going to have a whale swallow me. That's not going to go well. So when God was reaching out to me, I wanted to respond. I knew I wanted to believe in God. I knew that. Something in me wanted to believe in God. But God was scary. Because see, God wanted me 
to first sort, sort out all the things in my life, and then eventually when I, was, when I was a better man, I would come to Him and I would serve Him. So that was, for me, that was something that would happen far in the future. And the other problem with God was, my idea was that that virtue meant that I was not going to be allowed to have any fun anymore. So, you see, that was the other problem. Because so many of the things that I, was, I thought I was enjoying... It wasn't all bad things. I just thought, I had a picture of this core. Okay? And I didn't measure up to it. So God did, over time, call me. And sometimes I would go like, just because He was directly calling me, I'd go like, I'm going to just tell you my intention is to be a good man. And I'm going to try. And that was like, usually... Less than 12 hours of success, and then <laughs> maybe sometimes a half an hour later, I'd forgotten about my commitment. Because um, I was scared of him, because nobody ever explained the call to me. No one spoke about that. You just had to stop sinning and believe and go to church, and the rest of the week be nice. And you had to be nice, you had to love everyone. And I, I have a temper. Um, now I just have righteous anger at times. But back then, um, and that was a big problem. I mean, I'm a passionate kind of person. So I was like, this picture of a Christian was, you smile and nod and you just give all your money to the poor. And that's what I thought. And anyone can come into your house at any time. It's free. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the call. Make your call and election sure. Election. Most people just read over it because they've got no idea what it means. Okay? Read for us. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Joshua, have you ever struggled with this thing? You want to serve God, but actually just not now. Many times. Many times. Why? Be honest. Because there's some sin. It's nice. You just want to give yourself some time, right? <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> that's what it is. It's not even necessarily sin. Self. Sinful. <laughs> it's okay. not necessarily sin. <laughs> explain it to him, explain it to him. No, I'm just adding. Um, it might just be the idea that if I give my life to God, then... Maybe some of my dreams and aspirations are then going to be invalid. So there were certain things that I would have liked to have done in my life. Not necessarily good or bad, just some things that I would have liked to do. But if God is not going to be the ruler of my life, then He might not want to do those things. So now I have to give all of that up. And that sometimes is a bit of a demotivation. Is that true? Yeah. Is that how it works? Okay. So she's telling you that every day. It hasn't worked so far. (laughs) On record, note to mothers, we're not saying stop, but usually it's not the mother that's going to convince the child. That's why we focus on the promises and the inheritance. People don't choose God because they don't know what it is they're supposed to choose. 
if someone told me, I would have probably chosen much earlier. Okay, so, take us to the calling. Okay, Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verse 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. See, there's the call. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Read the last one again, 13. Verse 13. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So firstly, to understand the call, uh, we have to ask the question, why does he call people? Now, you see, the answer out there in the world would be a generic answer. And we all know this answer, and it sounds valid. The answer would be God loves all people and He wants everybody to be saved. And God just loves everyone. So God is trying to save people. Really hard. That's the answer that you get in the world. So when someone is sensing that... See when that call comes. Let's talk about that call quickly. Because that call is... I've been just living and minding my own business and I was fine. That's, that's most people's story. Or I wasn't fine. There's two types of people. I was fine. And then something starts scratching in my life. So I was, the story was, I was always a believer. I was raised to believe in God. And there was never a time that I, that I didn't believe in God. You know, I believe in God. He's there and He's good and I should believe in Him. I even encourage my friends and my children to believe in Him. I tell my, my, I tell my children to go to Sunday school. I believe in God. But, then the actual God of the universe Himself, He starts messing with me. The way He starts messing with me is, I become uncomfortable. I'm asking questions that I don't actually want to verbalize because I don't want to ask them. Because you don't want the answer. <laughs> and then there's the other type of person that wasn't fine. The person whose life was just a mess and it was going downhill and then God calls. There's those two kinds of people. For young people, usually the call comes through at about the age of 11. It comes in strongly. And then it will repeat. And repeat, and repeat, and you if you 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 stuck in this kind of struggle with God. I believe in you, God. I just don't want to serve you right now because, you know, I'm gonna keep my life, and you can have it later. Like we ever owned our own lives in the first place, but but we think we do. I did that till I was thirty. 
believe it or not, God would verbally speak to me and I would still walk away from Him. Why? Because I didn't understand the call. What, what do you want from me? I'll go to church. That was my answer. And I did go to church three times in a row. And then I liked the church, so I started giving them a lot of money and I didn't go anymore. Because that, that was better. I'll give you money. You do the thing. Because I've got other things to do on a Sunday. Okay, that really happened. Okay? And then, one Sunday, God literally manifested His presence in my living room. That I sat up on the couch and said, God. <laughs> Hello. Every time I thought He came to judge me. I was like, this is it. I know what I've done. I'm sorry. Before he could say a word, I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for what? Everything. <laughs> he wasn't there to judge me. He was there to try and make me understand I'm calling you to something. Not to church. To something. I'm calling you to your destiny, to your future. I'm calling you to be part of my family, my household. I didn't know this. So let's see, what does he call, show us what he's calling us. What's the purpose? Okay, so verse 28 again. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, please note, there's only, there's one purpose. It's not his purposes. So one purpose. Um... Then he says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The most lovely, the most honorable, the most virtuous, the most courageous, the most honest, Truthful, loving, righteous man that ever lived. He wants to conform me and you to the image of his son. How is that a bad thing? How, how is that something we want to say no to? Josh, how often do you feel bad about yourself? in a month period? Does it never happen? Do you ever feel disappointed in yourself? So God calls us to conform us. He is going to conform us. He is going to work in our lives. He is going to, as a father, with His gentle hand, His love, through His Holy Spirit, that is our comforter, our helper, he is going to, He, it says He is going to conform us to the image of His Son. And you know what I was lacking? I didn't know the image of His Son. That's what I was saying no to because I, I didn't yet know. So the call, the real call is He starts to reveal His Son to you. That's when the real call comes through. 
somehow he will start impressing on your person, on your heart, the reality that he's good. And I thought I was good enough, but I'm not. Even the best, the ones that lives the best lives, they know what that feels like. When you start realizing that he's good, and that's the thing that draws you. That and the Father's own love draws you. But there's something else that goes together with the call. And we will recognize that. If we don't respond to Him, then our lives, our world, our person, what we had, will start clashing with the kingdom of God. There's a clash that starts happening. Everything was working fine, and now all of a sudden it's not working anymore. I was so good at what I was doing, and now I don't even like what I was doing anymore. And it's, it's the normal process. We, initially, most people resist God, because they don't yet want to give up what they had. So what He will do is, He will encourage us to want to give up what we had. It's the call. It's the call. It's, the call is according to those who He predestined. So He knew you. He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible says. And now, He's calling you. Now you might say, why are, we t- why are we teaching this teaching to people that's been in discipling for a while? Because this isn't a one-off, once-off deal. You walk with God, you have experiences with God, and then you wake up in the morning and it's like He's calling you again. Mm. According to that predestination. And He has justified you if you're a believer and you've been baptized. He's justified you. And then He calls you with a new fresh touch and you desire the justification more than ever before. So there's no condemnation and yet we desire the justification even more. And no matter how long you walk with him, that desire to be conformed to the image of his son increases. Mm. It just increases and increases. So you see, Josh, why I asked if you ever feel disappointed in yourself and stuff, it's because he will highlight that he will help you to understand that in prideful moments we feel good about ourselves. We can even convince ourselves that I'm a good person. And our achievements, Johannes, sound familiar? When we have achievements, it can get worse. In moments of achievement, we realize that I can't even depend, I I cannot find security in my achievements, I cannot even find, I cannot even rejoice in my achievements achievements for too long. Mm. These days I find that when I achieve something, I feel an immediate longing for God. Cannot tarry there, cannot stay there. Can you help us through more scripture interpret this calling, please? 
Listen carefully, guys. We're not just reading Bible. Listen carefully. Because the Bible will tell us how to interpret the call. I have quite a few. So I'm going to suggest that we don't all page together to all of them, but I'll read them out so you can make a note of them. Then you can go read them later at your own leisure, if that makes sense. Just to save a bit of time today. So, the first one is Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. The Lord says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. So there's a call to repentance. Okay, so if anybody ever feels the call, he's calling you to repentance. Just a good way to interpret the call. Sometimes the Lord just fellowships with us, He loves on us, He pours His love out on us. But then we all know, even as, as believers that's walked the road for a long time, in the middle of the day you feel that call. Something that arrests you in your heart. Always interpret it, Lord, you're calling me to repentance. What's repentance? Not walking away from sin or stop, stop doing what you're doing. It's calling you to His image. Repentance isn't about sin. It's come away from you. Come to me. Come away from your self-image. Come to my image. Come away from your motivations to my motivation. Come away from your purpose to the purpose I have for you. Come away from the thing that has captured your attention my son, my daughter, come away from the thing that has captured your attention. Come, I'm drawing you back to that which is eternally important. Seek thee first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Okay, those that have walked this road for a while now, how quickly do, uh, can our attention be drawn by things? Does that happen still? Come on, it's the only me. I was free from having all my attention, my thoughts overwhelmed by my work or by my finances. I was, there's, the Lord brought me into freedom. And then, a few months later, I realized I'm back there. All I'm thinking about is my work. All I'm praying about is my work. All I'm praying about is my finances. All I'm praying about is myself. Mm. So that's when the call comes through again. And He arrests your heart again. He says, come away from that. To my image. What's the call about? Okay. Repeat that first scripture again. Just the last bit. So. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So although we've been forgiven as believers... When the call comes, always interpret it. He's calling me to a form of repentance again. Hallelujah, thank you for granting me repentance. Yes, next one. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So there's another aspect of the calling. The calling to be conformed to his image will also entail the calling to the body. How did I struggle against that one? I fought that one. Mm. Okay. So just because I went to church, it doesn't mean that I was willing to be conformed to the body. Or to be unified with the body. I'll serve God over here. You guys serve God over there. I love you. (laughs) Okay, we all know that feeling. Okay, I'll go to church, but... Look, I'm busy at times, and I've got my own things going. That's that part of the calling. We cannot avoid that part of the calling. He's going to call us into one spirit... One body with the... And even if we're in our, in our own little churches, then He's still going to call us within the context of that to the bigger body. And I don't always like the other Christians. I'll be honest with you. They do and say things I don't like. And yet He's insisting that I seek them out, love them and know them. So then I'll just repent of not wanting to. Okay. Okay, next one. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Messiah Yahushua has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yahushua. Another aspect of the call, the upward call. The upward call. So it's, in the beginning I thought it was just calling me to look up, acknowledge that he's there, and down here reorganize a few things so that my life were, here would just be a better Christian life and then I can look up when I pray and when I worship and the rest of the time I was going to live my life. That's what I understood. An upward call for me was just that. And I thought, like most, most believers think, we're going to believe in God and then live our faith out to Him. No, no. It's an upward call. The drawing never stopped after I said yes. He was drawing me away from not only myself, but from everything that my life was. And He was drawing me, seek thee first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And before I knew it, that was more my home than this was my home. The kingdom was more real to me than this was real to me. That upward call is real. It's a repositioning. And the upward call continues every single day. We want to remind those that know the upward call of the upward call. We cannot be, we'll do what we do here diligently and well. It's part of virtue. When I work, I'm going to work and I'm going to be diligent, pay attention, I'm going to be orderly. But we can balance that with the upward call. 
Now from there, I want you to connect the upward core. I know we're not going to finish those because we don't have the time. Let's go to faith. Go to Hebrews and show us what faith is. Now we're going to connect to Peter to that. Remember, to Peter, the scripture culminates in make your call and your election sure. Be diligent to do that. So we've looked at the call. The call is primarily to be conformed to the image of his son. There's an upward call. There's a repentance call. Now the upward call brings us back to the beginning of the Peter equation. Faith. What is faith? Now for you that know, we'll remind ourselves again. It's part of that lifestyle. Yes. Everything? The ones we discussed. Okay. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then we're going to skip, 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 skip. So pause. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now Christianity has made this, I'm going to be blatantly honest, you know what they've made this verse? It's the thing that you want, or believe for, or hope for, that's not real, and you just have to envision it, Hope for it and keep proclaiming it and then you'll have it. That's what they think this means. It's not what it means at all. Because this chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, will define what verse 1 means. And we teach our minds not to think in another way. Because if we add to our faith virtue, faith has to be determined and defined. Define it for us out of chapter 11, please. Okay, let's go to verse 8. We're going to read verse 8 to verse 10. And then read some more. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Show them what it is. Just make sure. Did everybody hear? I don't think everybody okay, heard. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read verse 10 again. Okay. It says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham left his father's house, the city he was in, to travel to a land. God promises him, I'll give you a land for your descendants to live in. He's still going there. And it says that he was keeping his eyes on a city. Jerusalem in Israel was not yet a thought. Okay? The architect had not even started drawing the plans. It didn't exist yet. But it says that Abraham's faith was keeping his eyes on a city. It's the new Jerusalem. That God reveals to him. So, what is the substance of things hoped for? The evidence of things not seen? This is so important. Because you can go and search every well-known preacher's sermons online. You will not find one contemporary 
preacher or teacher that has in the last 50 years at least done a sermon on the reality of what biblical faith is. I can guarantee you, you will not find one. Not in the last 50 years, maybe even 100. It is so important because if we're going to start this discipling walk, it's the first step. Faith is that Abraham and his descendants were given a future according to resurrection. Joshua. This is where it all boils down to. So he wants to conform us to the image of his son. It's about resurrection. It's about a future. Why was Abraham willing to leave his city, his job, his security? Why was he willing to leave all the anchors? Because God showed him, in reality, that all his descendants, before he had given him the son, according to promise, he had no children. He's showing him New Jerusalem with all that would be resurrected in Messiah. Okay, we understand that if he calls us and we answer, we, it cannot fail. Our future is secure. Our future is secure in him. That's why all the insecurities, when the call comes, we feel all the insecurities. We become aware, acutely aware of how insecure we actually are in our own abilities, in our own achievements, in our own person. Because he wants to highlight the fact that everything that you've established here, everything that you are depending on here, is not enough. There's something that's eternal and that is secure. And when that has been established as my future, as my hope, then this becomes secure. He's not intending to take this away. He's going to give you a security there so that this can be secure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now let's read from verse 13 to verse 16. These all died in faith. Now he's referring to Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, everyone mentioned in the chapter. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. This is a major part of that call. That will grow, even the person that's saying no. Even the atheist. There was a time when I was proclaiming myself to be an atheist, folks. <laughs> My poor mother was distraught because she had sent me to Sunday school, she did everything right, and now she had this son that said, no, the Bible doesn't make sense, and uh, there's no evidence of God, so I'm an atheist. There's something, when he calls, that in the inside of you, there's a desire for somewhere. There's a desire for somewhere. Hmm. We interpret it, humans interpret it, I want to see my dead grandmother again once. Someday. That's what they interpreted as. That's our response. It's like, that's all we can do with it. It's I, want, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. But we actually 
experiencing is. Because for a lot of people, that's the beginning of wanting to believe in God. They just don't want to go to hell. I remember there was a dust storm that came through our city. In the middle of the day, it went together with a lightning storm. And uh, in that moment, I found faith for at least half an hour. It went pitch black, dark in the middle of the day. There was uh, thunderstorm and lightning. And I was sitting in the classroom as a young boy and I went, Lord, I'm so sorry for everything. I don't want to go to a hole. If this is the end, I was interpreting, this is the end of the world. I knew vaguely about the end of the world and this was it. Definitely, it had come. Because remember, remember they never taught on the whole book of Revelation. And just all I ever heard was, he's going to come as a thief in the night. Mm-hmm. So you'll still be living your life and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. he is. And it will be so quick. You won't have a chance. I was like, thank God I decided to pray early. When I saw it got dark, I, was, I thought I was clever. I was beating all my classmates to it. I am repenting right now. I'm going to make it to heaven. Really. Then the dust storm passed and um, my faith was gone. I felt guilty about that for years though. When the thought crossed my mind, I avoided it. I was like... I'm not going to think about the fact that I made a commitment to God. But it's okay, because He wants to forgive you. So now you've given Him a reason to forgive you. I didn't think that. I knew I wasn't forgiven for that. I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was guilty. I made a promise and I wasn't going to keep it. And I was just like, I'm just going to ignore the fact that God is there. Because if I don't talk to Him, it's, it's like that hamster thing. I had a hamster. It would hide its head in my clothing. The whole body would stick out. But he believed nobody could see him. Okay. We do that on a daily basis. If I just don't pay attention to God now, then he doesn't exist. It's true. Joss, have you ever done that? If you just don't pay attention to God, then you don't have to worry about him. Hey, come be honest. Never done that. Never. So, so you worry about him all the time. You should. You're not baptized. <laughs> See, God has been quietly speaking to you. I'm just making sure that you hear everything He said. I'm interpreting for you. Okay, so, okay, guys. So, what is faith then? What's faith? Go read this again. Faith literally is the substance of the finished work. Maybe we should explain what the kingdom is, because I don't think everybody. Okay, so, you see, the kingdom of God works like this. What heaven. Is, what is the kingdom? Heaven. Heaven. This is what heaven is, guys, just in case you didn't know. So, when I die, when I die and I get there, then it becomes heaven, because I have a ribbon. <laughs> it's true. See, it's empty. It's like an empty place. They're just waiting for you. Maybe my granny is there. But I mean, my granny sits on a chair all day, so there's not much happening. That's what I... So, so it's waiting for me to get there. That's heaven, right? Okay, let's talk about heaven. Can you explain what heaven is? Just quickly, kingdom. The preeminent kingdom is what? So, obviously, 
the kingdom of heaven or God is not waiting for any of us individually to show up before he goes like, ta-da, here is heaven. Um, from the Bible, <laughs> we see, especially Revelation, uh, we see that the kingdom of heaven is actually an operational living place right now. There's biodiversity, the angels, the living creatures, etc., etc., going on in heaven. So it's a functional kingdom, real kingdom going on right now while we are here. <laughs> Who knows where Ukra the Ukraine is on the map? The Ukraine. Oh. Do you know where Ukraine is? I think Anushka would know. <laughs> okay, so, so there's a place, there's a country, people live there. Okay, people live there. We discovered, we went to Vietnam. They have cities. Real <laughs> but cities. It happens when we go on holiday. For some reason, we think that when we get there, now all the people come out, they make it a nice place. And when I leave, they kind of just disappear again because obviously they just existed there when I was there on my holiday. <laughs> See, when I think of Vietnam, before I went to Vietnam, it's rice patties. Everybody <laughs> that lives in Vietnam rice. has these hats on and they're busy picking rice. That's what they do. Okay, really. That's it. That was Vietnam. I got there. I don't know what they were thinking. They're in the shops, in the malls. On their scooters. Woo. Who's picking the rice then? I have to adjust my entire picture of the whole place. Think of Russia. Everybody's drinking vodka all day long. In fur coats. But that's true, too. Okay, bad example. Bad example. Okay, the kingdom of heaven. Come, let's just for a moment, okay? This, this sounds like such simple things. Most people have a picture. Okay, heaven. Yes, it's the place with the golden streets made of gold. That's it. That's what people... And there might be angels. We're not sure if they're there now. Are we're they flying sure. around? And we're not sure What's if happening? we become the angels. The, the, the angels. theories I've heard of heaven. <laughs> the preeminent... We call it the preeminent kingdom. It's a place. It's a place right now. God rules there. He's not sitting there in his Indeed. throne room <laughs> like with a few angels wait. worshipping... And the rest of the place is empty because they're waiting for us to just finish up what we're doing here so that that's not what... Did you ever realize this? Do you ever sit down and think of it? He's a real king with a real kingdom. Now, what does it say when it says, Seek thee first the kingdom of heaven? He's a real king with a real kingdom. And then 
He says, seek thee first the kingdom. So the entire Sermon on the Mount, where we started reading, is the Lord, Yahushua, His Son. Okay, so His Son comes from the kingdom. It's a real kingdom. He comes to this little outpost called earth. Compared to the kingdom of heaven, earth is like a little island somewhere. This great king comes to this place, and he, in the Sermon on the Mount, is going to try and explain to us the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if faith is us seeing and understanding and starting to relate, respond to the substance of the kingdom of heaven and the evidence of the things that we can't yet see now, but we through faith, connect with it. And if the call is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son, then I'm hoping that we're starting to realize that this is a transformative commandment from God that is in going to insist to invade every part of our lives and conform us, draw us, the upward call. Now we're going to illustrate with the last 10 minutes literally what that translates into. Because we learn by comparison. How do you know what light is? It's what happens when in the middle of the night you switch the light on and darkness disappears. That's how you know what light is. If we never had darkness, you wouldn't have to define light. Okay. How do you distinguish between two things and know which one is sweet? If you eat things, we would never have to define sweet if everything was sweet. But because there's bitter or salty, okay, makes sense. Can you show us what the normal person's life in structure looks like? the long square. Okay, now, we think of our lives as we want, to, we want to achieve a balance. And the balance would have to... In our minds, our life would look like a perfect square. But it's not true. Now, the perfect square life would look like equal sides, nicely balanced. Well, <laughs> if she drew it, it would look like that. But this is actually more or less what most people's lives would end up looking like. Fill it in for us, please, will you? Remember, the upward core. Is everybody aware of the fact that it says in Hebrews that the work of God is finished? Do you know that it says that? So God is not trying to save people. His work is finished. God is not still building. Okay, so if the word says, while she's drawing, if the word says that we are living stones being built in to the new Jerusalem, does the, world say, the word says we're living stones? And we are being built into a temple, a dwelling place for the Spirit. And we know that we become the new Jerusalem because the new Jerusalem is coming down as the bride, Right? then is the city only finished when the last one of us dies? 
So actually, if we, if we don't understand what the Bible says, we might be thinking of the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, as a building site right now. Because if we're living stones being built in. So while Joshua is refusing to call the to answer the call, there's like a whole brick missing in the wall. And if he never says yes to the Lord's call, then we're going to end up with a new Jerusalem with a hole in the wall. <laughs> you know, he might have even been a brick in the front where the, where the gate is. That would not work. Lord, find another brick. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure about this guy. You know, if it was up to that idea, the worldly idea that God is trying to save people so that he, you know we can just be, eventually he'll finish his work. Then to be honest, I think New Jerusalem would end up being half a bolt structure with some walls missing maybe half the roof gone really it says in the book of Hebrews that God's work is done finished so New Jerusalem okay New Jerusalem has to be complete right is there still some unpaved dust roads or is all the roads made of gold we, we, we don't struggle with that idea Okay. Why didn't we draw a square? This is what our lives actually look like. On top, what's the most important thing that will be in our lives, uh, where our attention will be? That upward call is replaced by something. My future. More, most of us will have that in mind from when we're in school. Does your mother tell you to do your homework every now and then? Did she ever talk to you about your future? No? Never? You've got to get a job. Don't, don't end up being a bum. No, don't do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Future. But now when you grow old and you're 30 or 40, the future is not that hopeful little uh, dreamy thing that it used to be when you're 16. Now, now it's got a real weight that bears down on you on a daily basis. That career that you were dreaming of, that uh, one day I'm going to have a job and I'm going to buy a car. No, then you have the job and that becomes this <laughs> weighty thing that can press down on you on a daily basis. Not, no, no, none of you, right? Never feel like that. Okay. Yeah. Finances. Part of future. Finances. Uh, the 10-year plan, 5-year plan... God, let me just help me to make it through the week. <laughs> yeah. okay. okay, future. That can happen. Okay, that's why we didn't draw a square, because something is squishing. <laughs> My plan. My nice square life is being squished. So that's all of that. Finances, job, career. My world. Daniel, that's the foundation. My world. Whatever that is. Where I live, my community, my house, my belongings. That forms one part of our world. Then, family is on, over here. My family. Especially mom, dad, and kids. Maybe grandparents included. 
then you have the extended family. But that forms one side of my life, very important factor. And then this is my expression. This is all the other things. My sport, my activities, my music, my games, my whatever it is, my music, my friends, all of that fits into my expression, my art. Okay? So all of us just want to find a nice square balance between all these things. It's interesting when you look at the actuality of people's lives. So the artist will change this figure. You know? The guy joined the band on school and he believed he was going to get famous, so he just will not give up on the dream. So his, his whole structure will look more like this. Something like that. So expression has morphed right into future, finances, job, career. Okay? Not defined. And this might vary in size, the family, my love, because that could... Okay, how many of the great bands guys did not get divorced? And, okay, see, see how that could actually become Van Gogh, cut his ear off. Okay, so um, that, that's one of the structures. Just interesting, just for interest sake. What can happen in our, in our walks? Okay, now the problem with this life... We're going to do a square for argument's sake. The guy that's really intent on finding the balances. Okay. Do you want to fix it? I'm mathematical. Okay. Okay. Now, this is what the picture starts looking like. I know it looks like an orangutan. Coming out of his ears. This is what the picture starts looking like if the person insists on trying to do the square life himself. Just balance everything. What happens? You've got to hold all the walls up yourself. With all your might and all your will and all your effort. Okay, you can't let go of one of these sides because it will just go... The pressure will let it tumble. Or is it, it's, it's just not true. Most people just get it right easily, isn't it? I know people get it right. But this is the effort it takes. Okay. Now this is the thing that we're so scared of. So we come to faith. This is the first response from people that want to serve God. They want to put God there. And then they want to put Him there and we're going to live towards Him. So we change the structure a little bit. Our intention is put Him in charge. Okay, so that's how we first respond to, respond to the call. Okay, now we're going to try and incorporate and make him part of all my stuff. Remember, it was my family, my love, my expression, my future, my world, me at the center. Because I've got to keep the thing up, right? Now, we want to change it, so we incorporate God. So now, my love becomes one side of the triangle. We move my future because I understand that my future, my dreams, my hopes, my ambition can no longer form the focal point of my life. There's an upward course. So we move my future, my ambition, 
to the side. We try and do that. And then we do, my world will remain the foundation. My world, it's very difficult in any structure, the religious structure, to, to change my world as the foundation. My world remains my world. So what happens? I now have put God in His proper place. Now I start praying and believing for my love. So I start believing and praying and, and so on for my family, for my family's uh, future and my family's salvation, my kids and so forth. Then we start believing and praying for my future. My finances, my success, my whatever. And uh, my world remains my responsibility mostly. So my world stays the same, more or less. Now this is what we want to suggest. We're going to close off with this for you to go think of. If the substance of things, uh, substance of faith and the evidence of faith is seek thee first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added, then we want to suggest a, 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 a whole new structure. So he comes and he reforms you. Remember he says, renew the mind. He even changes the person on the inside. He asks you to go into baptism, die to yourself so that He can resurrect you in Him. Then He gives you an entire book on new ideas and new commandments, new rules, new lifestyle, new everything. Gives you this book, instruction book. So He changes everything. Now this is what it should lead to. Now this is what we want to consider as a new structure. Okay. Remember this, my future, my finances, my job, my career, my ambition used to be there. Now instead of putting God there, we change the structure to that. It looks like we're giving up. I don't want to give up my life. I don't want my life to be the smallest part of my entire world. But what is bearing in on your life? Future? Career? Finances? Or God? In the structure? It still works out to that. We still have a roof. My own life on earth in connection to the kingdom of heaven, but it's a blessing. Blessing. But it flows into that. So then, expression. Expression forms one of the walls. It will show you why. And uh, instead of one of the walls being my love, my family, my, my world, my people, and the other part was expression was my friends, my music, my whatever, this becomes body, according to the biblical design. And here... Where expression is, it is expression towards God. 
And according to the commandment, love the body. Now, let's quickly explain what this boils down to. Why is this a structure that changes everything? Just pay attention for two more minutes. Because this becomes where that call should lead us. Remember that we're called to be conformed to the image of His Son. Seek the first the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is a real place, a real kingdom. Now what if we are living from our life, seeking, according to the upward call, the kingdom of heaven, the king at the center of the kingdom, all his ways, his will, especially his will, his word. And we're allowing, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of his son? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of heaven? Now, if it says seek first the kingdom of heaven, how small does my actual world with all these dynamics, dimensions, how small is it supposed to get? The good news is that forms the funnel of grace in the end of the day. Grace can from the finished work flow into my life. So friendships, expression... My art, my music, my, my, my entertainment, my activities. See, I'm not just going for a run anymore to be fit. Now I'm running and praying. Then I have to give it up. It's only flowing towards that and it's flowing back into my life. Family is still important, but the family forms a part of the greater body of Messiah. So when I obey the word and we conform to one body, one spirit, that upward call to become part of a, the body, his body, the kingdom, that flows to him and back into my life in blessing. See, the problem is people that make... A lot of people decide we're going to, our greatest value, our priority is going to be my family. I know a lot of men that start off with the right intention. I'm going to choose my family above my career. And then the structure changes to this. Immediately expression has to become a smaller part. The problem with this structure is, um, you might think it might be a good structure. The problem with this structure is, and I've seen this happen too many times, is people that cause the biggest parts of their lives to be their world and their family, they end up building their world and they lose many of the other things. They struggle to balance it out with future because how in today's life do you balance out the hours you need to work and the time you need to invest in your family and expression and the world? Some people get it right. 
but these walls start to, the older your kids get, the more those, wall, those walls will start to crush in. The pressure increases no matter how you build your structure. The only structure that can bear the weight is if the weight that is bearing down on your life is God and the kingdom of heaven. Any other structure, give it enough time, will start feeling the pressure and it will wobble in a direction you never wanted it to wobble. Just a fact of life. Look at people around you. People start building their, their world. When they get married, they fall in love, they start building their lives, and pretty soon they don't love each other anymore. They love the life that they've built. I believe that's the only structure that can work. Okay. How do we respond to the call then? See, when the call starts, it doesn't stop until you say no. And for believers, the call continues until we compromise and we start doing it in another way. If this is faith, a revelation that Abraham had of the new Jerusalem and the plan of God, the will of God, then what's the right way to respond to the call? You say, Lord, show me. You can't ask me to go somewhere if I don't know what it looks like. You can't ask me to believe in you if you don't reveal yourself to me. Show me. If I have to deny myself to choose him, then... If I, if I have a revelation of how good He is, if He reveals Himself to me, then it would make sense to choose. Because before the time, I'm the most important person in my life. Or my children, the most important. Or my wife. Or my career, or whatever it is. Until He reveals Himself. So, the response to the call in closing... For those who believe and that call keeps coming through, upward call, all the time. The response remains the same. Lord, show me. Show me again. That's what Moses did. did. He said, Lord, show me your glory. God says, the Israelites are rebelling. They are stiff. He's got 1.2 million, what did we say? 2.1 million people that's rebelling. He's got to lead them through a wilderness. God says, I want you to go, and He says, I need a meeting, please. So they go up on the, on the mountain. He says, if you want me to do what you're asking of me, show me. That was Moses' response. Can we incorporate that into our work? The call will come over and over. The call will come in deeper ways. The call is an upward call. The call is to be conformed to His image. The call is a call of repentance. In closing, the response is a simple response. Show me. If, if the kingdom of heaven is now a kingdom, 
then I don't need my little picture of a shiny golden place. Lord, let the image, the reality of your kingdom flood into my world so that I can seek it. If I have to be conformed to the image of your Son, then let your image of your Son flood my being so that I can choose it. The call. Best way to answer is ask Him, Lord, show me. Lord, show me. If you don't know what to do with the call, say, Lord, speak to me. I want to know. Lord, show me. I, I want to see. You don't have to choose yes or no right away. You can say, Lord, show me. I'm in the process. I'm hearing the call. I want to respond. Show me. For most of us, this process will continue well into our late years. If Kirk Douglas could live to 103, I'm determined to live longer. <laughs> And I'll continue to say, Lord, show me. Amen.